Hi, this is Carson with Troy, and I have with me best-selling author and award-winning author, Larry Korea. Larry has written um, his most famous series, is the Monster Hunter um, International series. Um, he has written by himself, he's written um, the Saga of the Forgotten Warrior and the Grim Noir Chronicles. I always have a problem with that war word. Um, and he has written with um, other authors, uh, Mike Capari. How do you spell that? The Dead yep, Six? Coopery. Coopery. Okay. He has written the Dead Six series Cooper with Mike Coopery. Um, his most recent book, um, he has written with Steve Diamond, and it is called uh, Servants of War. Um, Larry, go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, so I've, uh, I've been an author since uh, 2007. Uh, is when I started out self-published in 2009. I had my first book come out with Bayon Books. That's Monster Hunter International. I've written 26 books now. My uh, first nonfiction book will be coming out in January. I have written several different series. I have collaborated on novels with, with a half a dozen different authors. I've, I've written two collections of short fiction. Um, I've edited three anthologies. I've won some awards and stuff like the dragon I won some dragon awards that's pretty cool uh, uh i write a lot of books <laughs> that's pretty much what i do you you really do and you're a, a prolific writer you you've written a ton um let's go back in the beginning in 2007 when uh, monster hunter international came out or when you when you started writing it um what were what was the genesis of that um series Okay, so how that came about was um, there was an internet discussion forum. It's called it was a uh, forgotten. It's called the firing line, and uh, we were just making jokes on there one day as for a bunch of gun guys, and somebody uh, made the joke about uh, or started a thread about lines I'd like to hear in a horror movie someday. And this guy named Ian McMurtry, good friend of mine, started that, and so we're all just putting in goofy lines and about how horror movies would be dramatically different if they start our people, you know, a bunch of like gun nuts and military guys and, and hardcore people and uh, preppers and survivalists and whatnot. And then all of a sudden uh, it just made me laugh. It was just too funny. The, the concept of, I love horror movies. And so the concept of horror movies starring my people was just too great. So I set out to do that. I started writing monster owner uh, with the concept as uh, professional monster killers Um and uh, they, they treated it as a job and they're very professional, very good at what they do. Uh, so, so it was like all the horror movie tropes, but with competent protagonists is kind of how that started out. And it blew up. It, uh, it, it, it got huge from there. Um, that first book uh, that I self-published was a, was a hit. It, it um, was a national bestseller uh, back in the days of, um, where was, where was the, before the ebook revolution? So we didn't really have, you know, Audible or not Audible. We didn't have Amazon selling Kindle books. So back then it was a twenty five dollar print on demand paperback. Oh wow! <laughs> is, is when I got started, and yeah, that still blew up huge. Sold thousands of copies. Did really well. I uh, got picked up by Bayon Books, and uh, now that Monster Hunter series is eight books in the main series, three spinoffs, uh, and uh, uh, anthology of short stories. And there's more coming. There's many more coming. So we got more spinoffs, more more co-authored books. That universe has grown. So it's a shared universe now uh, with multiple authors writing in it. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's been a lot of fun. That's been wildly successful. No, it's a fun series. I love reading it. Uh, I first met you in 2009 up in Logan. You're with uh, John Brown and Dave Wolverton. And oh, yeah. I remember that was, signing. That was a long time ago. It was, it was a long time ago. And I went there for Dave Wolverton, and I met you and Don, and, and bought both your books and, and read. I think Servant of the Dark God came out with Don, and you know that was Monster Hunter. You were you were promoting that, and I fell in love with both of you guys. Um, and you know I've I've followed you ever since. Like met you multiple times at conventions and stuff, and I've I've just bought everything. You know the you know the spinoff with John Ringo. The and I, I love it. It's just a fantastic series. Now in two thousand seven. You know, you didn't, you weren't a full-time author then you, you know, you had a oh. job and stuff. What, what was some of your habits back then to, to take care of the family at that time and, and stuff like that? How'd you make it work? Well, I've got, I've got, at the time I had three kids, I've had four kids now. Um, 
And I had a full-time job. When I wrote my first book, I actually owned a gun store. So I was crazy busy. I was an entrepreneur, and I was working a stupid amount of hours. I was a firearms instructor on the side. So pretty much every weekend, I was teaching gun classes. A couple nights a week, I was teaching concealed carry classes. So I had very limited time, and so I just basically budgeted what I could. My first book actually took quite a while to write. Um, I had a little crappy room in my basement an unfinished room in my basement that i wrote <laughs> it was freezing cold and in the winter and then uh as time went on i actually i went into def I, I left the gun store i sold out and i um i got into defense contracting and there i worked a lot of hours too i was a um, a finance manager for a defense contractor spent a lot of hours doing that and every night i would just come home and i would write for a couple hours or just an hour or two and then i would marathon weekends i used to be a pretty hardcore competition shooter i would go out on uh, most weekends and, and compete in different matches around you know the state and sometimes the country uh, i had to give that up because there was just no way i could spend uh weekends on the road and doing that instead of writing and so i just started writing on the weekends uh and just marathoning and i would get in six or eight hours on a sunday after church that kind of thing and i did that until i had about uh six or seven books out i actually probably could have quit my day job earlier but I actually really enjoyed my day job. I uh, got paid really good <laughs> and it was a good company. So I, I stayed there until I had about six, seven books out and more coming. And then I, I just moved on and I've been a full-time writer ever since. And uh, that's been, geez, like, uh, I don't know, like eight, eight years now, nine years, something like that. So I've been a full-time writer, eight, eight years probably that I've been doing this full-time. So yeah, it's been wild. And I've done about two books a year that entire time. Yeah, that's amazing to put that much effort into writing when you have to take care of your family and, and do your job and everything like that. So what what's a day in the life of Larry Korea now? Like you're a full-time author. What do you, what are some of your habits now? Well, it's a little bit different now because most of my kids are older. I've got one kid that's still in uh, middle school. So I've got, you know, one younger one. Uh, but now I, I have two adult children that have just, you know, moved on with their lives. And my, my third one is a senior in high school. And, you know, senior in high school, they're doing their own thing most of the time. So honestly, it's, it's weird now we're, we're only, I only have a one kid uh, at home that I need to like do stuff with. And, you know, I love my children and the best thing I've ever done is I've had, I've got four awesome kids. They turned out really good. I got a fantastic wife. Uh, I'm blessed. My family is just awesome. And I don't know. So we do a lot of family stuff because now it's really nice because I can work normal hours like when the kids are in school. I, I just basically like get up in the morning. I sit at my desk. I, I have an office in my house. I have like a big game room office. Uh, and I just come up here and I type all day until, you know, I take a break for lunch. And then, you know, dinner time, the kids are all home. And from that point on, I'm done. <laughs> I don't really, I don't work at night or on weekends anymore unless I have a deadline or something really pressing coming up it's kind of awesome i've just got like a normal uh eight to five kind of thing and even then i don't i don't write eight to five the way my brain works is um i do business before lunch basically and then after you know lunch till till close of business is when i really get all the words done could you explain like <laughs> that and um what the the genesis of that was this is for, for people who are coming up with ideas well, i can't I remember what the five one yeah. Okay. So this one was, I'm really proud of this trilogy. It's a complete trilogy and I, I'm going to revisit it. I'm going to do another trilogy set in this universe, but it's 1932 alternative history superheroes. So basically it's, it's magic. So it's a, it's a, it's a epic fantasy set in dust bowl, depression, America, mostly though we wind up in Shanghai. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's a crazy series. So you think you're hard boiled detectives, uh, imagine if Raymond Chandler had been writing urban fantasy. It's kind of what I was going for. And it's just nuts because the way the, the magical powers manifest, everybody has different abilities. And it kind of works like superhero style stuff. And it sounds crazy, uh, but it works really, really well. It's a super good series. It's so fun. Um, I've actually sold the rights for a TV show for that um to radar pictures we'll see what happens knock on wood you know you, you, hollywood's weird you can't you, you can't ever get your hopes up but uh i'd love to see that as a tv show uh the audiobooks are amazing uh they're narrated by bronson pin show who is one of the greatest uh audiobook narrators of all time and uh yeah that series is fantastic it's super fun 
and just hard-boiled detectives. Uh, and the ninjas come in because the bad guy in the 1930s was Imperial Japan. I had like a, a magical totalitarian Imperial Japan. Uh, <laughs> and it was crazy. It's a fun, fun series. Totally love that one. Very proud of that one. No, it's awesome series. And for those people who are kind of sick and tired of uh, series um, waiting to be finished, like you pick up a, a great book and you're like, oh man, this is wonderful. But they're still not done with it pick up this series because it is amazing as you know like you said it's a trilogy um and i saw somewhere that it's going to pick up you're going to revisit it in the 1950s setting and somewhere around there yep that's the plan right now i've done a couple short stories exploring like uh basically 20 something years later um and yeah so that's that's currently <clears throat> i've got another series called saga the forgotten warrior that's a five book series and i'm four books into it right now so the plan is finish saga the forgotten warrior get the fifth book done and then i can work on the uh on the next hard magic that, that's the plan uh that I, i'd like to get i'd like to get one series another series completed in, in the bag before i go start another trilogy well and this is what's great about you is you have written uh such different style of fantasy books that <laughs> anybody that's that's wanting to write and, and um do this for a living can look to you as an example of like i don't have to be pigeonholed into one thing like i can explore different options and still be successful at that let's let's talk about the saga of the forgotten warrior that's um one of my it's probably my favorite unfinished series like i've i've recorded a video that's going to be released on youtube soon of my top five um unfinished series brandon sanderson's stormlight archive is number two yours is number one that's how much i love um your the, the saga oh. of the forgotten warrior um so and, and it's totally different than anything else um i i talked to you at 20 books last year about some of my theories you said i was dead wrong so thanks for that and going back to square one <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that <laughs> that's okay so uh what what was kind of the was your brainstorm and how'd you come up with that uh, story uh that one uh, came out of nowhere because at the time i was working on monster hunter i was writing monster hunter alpha which is a werewolf novel and uh at the time we were actually building a house and so we had sold our house and we were living in a little tiny apartment while our new house was being built and i so i was working at a kitchen table and trying to avoid my children had my headphones on so i was listening to music and the movie inception had just come out and i got the inception soundtrack i hadn't seen the movie inception yet um but a song uh there's a song called waiting for a train by hans zimmer comes on and it's just a beautiful piece of music and I listened to it while writing Monster Hunter Alpha, and I had to stop and listen to the song. And I went back to the beginning of the song and listened to it again. And what happened is the song had kind of like provoked a, a scene in my mind. And I decided I want to stop this book that I had a deadline on. <laughs> so I stopped right then, and I wrote this one scene set to that song. And it was actually the knife fight banquet party scene from the first book. Um, and, and that's... I wrote that one scene. So basically everything inside of the black sword comes off of that one sequence. And so all the world building was like, okay, I have this kind of world. What do I need to do to have, you know, that kind of stuff in that world. And so it's kind of like um, just one evocative song caused one scene that I built the world off of. And if anybody hasn't read that, the first book, son of the black sword, it's um, best way I can describe it. Short pitch is uh, I think magical fantasy judge dread um is the main character it's a world uh it's based on india and uh, uh indian culture and it's a world except religion has been banned for a long time religion is legal and they've kind of replaced uh religion with a all-consuming law uh there's a um basically they have a law for everything and it and the main character is a roving magical law enforcement agent uh, who since he's been a little kid has been entrusted with this basically magical super weapon which makes him a bad dude like he is a bad dude um and so this is kind of like um i don't want to say anti-hero because the dude becomes a hero but love, boy i tell you this guy burned a lot of villages <laughs> <laughs> before the book starts but it's actually the best honestly that it's as far as um i read a lot of fun stuff this is the most serious uh, series i've done uh, I get uh, pretty deep on it, you know, getting a lot of themes. Uh, I was trying to go for a like, big, solid, epic fantasy. Uh, yeah, it, it came out super good. I'm really, really 
really proud of that one. That's actually my best reviewed series. Um, normally critics don't like me because critics say, oh, he's pulpy, you know, and because I just do big, fun, explodey stuff. I mean, I have a lot of fun with that. All the, you know, superheroes, ninjas, <laughs> that kind of thing. I love that. But some of the black part, I went really, it's, it's a dark and serious series. And uh, it's, it's really good, though. It's different too. There's not really anything else out there in epic fantasy that's like it. Um, I've gotten a lot of comparisons to like Gemmel. Uh, the series have been compared to Gemmel a lot, which I take as a huge compliment. Um, that's pretty cool. And also uh, Robert E. Howard. It's gotten a lot of comparisons to Robert E. Howard. So I think that's awesome. Uh, I'm glad you like it. I, I'm really proud of that one. No, it's a great series. And for anybody who has not read that one, I would highly recommend it. But let's, let's talk about your brainstorming process. You know, you had that song and it, you know, it triggered this uh, scene in your head and you quickly wrote it down. What's kind of like your process to kind of flesh stuff out? And do you outline? Do you free write? What do you kind of do? Um, I'm an outliner. Uh, so I, I usually, I, I will do an outline first. I'm not a like big structural outliner where I have hundreds of pages. Uh, my outline for a book is usually going to be just a few pages long. I'll have maybe six or eight pages uh, with notes um and usually it's just this happens this happens this happens here's all the cool visuals and images and like neat stuff i want to get in so it's a pretty i'm a pretty loose outliner but when i start the book i usually know beginning middle and end uh sometimes i'll do discovery uh, especially for shorter shorter projects but novel almost always i outline even if like and if i come up with something better like while I'm working, if I think, oh, well, this is cool in the outline, but I've got a better idea, I'll change the outline. Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not devoted to it, but I'm definitely outliner. I, I, it helps me tremendously to have the end in mind and to work towards uh, that and all the big character arc stuff that I want to accomplish. And when you're doing world building, how deep do you dive into that? I mean, the oh, I, the I love world building. Um, uh-huh. I think on world building is as long as it's not holding me back from producing. So, cause I know people who will world build for years, right. And never write the book. So I will pretty much world build as I go. I will think about it. Like, like you know, the thing about writers, I, you, you don't really take time off. Cause even when you're not working, you're working cause you're kind of thinking about work. Um, and so I'm always thinking of ideas and I'll just add them to the notes as I go for the world building as a series grows the world building gets giant. Like, so the, 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 the world Bible for son of the black sword now is probably about 30 pages long of just notes, uh, geography, history, timelines, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I will usually world build for, I don't know, maybe a week if I'm starting a new series, uh, then I'll jump into the book and I'll start working. And then if, as I have questions, I'll come up as I'm writing, if I get to a point where I need to like go and research something like how this would work or how is that going to work? I'll put a XXX is what I put so I can do, you know, a find and I'll just be like, okay, if I need to like name this house or name this river, I'll just go XXX and just keep writing while I'm in the moment, you know, then I'll go back later, like in the morning when I'm not as creative. No, that's fantastic. Um, let's contrast that to, um, Let's contrast that to Monster Hunter International or your Monster Hunter series, because um, that doesn't. There's no world building really in that. I mean, there's there's lore and stuff that you created, but like it's, it's, it takes place in in America and Europe and, and, yeah. and places. So, um, what is kind of your outline process for that? Uh, so, like Monster Hunter being an urban fantasy, there's still world building, but it's more uh, folklore and monster based magic kind of stuff that's behind the scenes but as far as there's no big world building because it just takes place in the contemporary world that's the beautiful part of urban fantasy you just go um so my notes and outlining on that is going to be more character based and plot based it's going to be this character needs to do this this and this and they need to go through this arc they need to experience the following horrible things uh overcome them the challenges they need to grow in this way um and so so it's it's a similar process but it's different I don't have to come up with much stuff. Uh, and then hard magic is like a balance between the two. Cause again, it's set in our real world, except being an alternate history was a different kind of thing. Cause I diverged history in the 1850s and I was writing this book in the 1930s. So it had all these decades where history had gone astray 
and I had to come on, kind of explain how and why and how that worked out and how things were different. So each one's a little bit different process, I guess, just kind of depending on the universe and what I'm trying to accomplish. Yeah, it sounds like, it. and you know, each of them are so unique that uh, it brings different challenges. Um, you know, Monster Hunter. Um, the I'm trying to think if if all of them are first person. Are no, um, I switch I switch back and forth. So most of them are, are all all the main series books from the Owen Pitt are first person books, but then every other book I go to a third person where I do a book from a different character's perspective. I was trying uh, to think so about that. Mon- it was third person with. Yeah, so Alpha's Alpha's third person, though I do have all Earl's jur- journal entries are, are written in first person. But so Alpha's in third person. Uh, Monster Hunter Nemesis is in third person. That's written from uh, Frank's perspective. So mm-hmm. on. And so I just, uh, Guardian. Uh, well, no, actually it's not. <laughs> Never mind. But I co-wrote that with Sarah, so I was different. Um, but yeah, so I jump back and forth. And so I'll do main series, first person from Owen Pitt, and then I'll do third person. So it, that enables me to kind of expand the universe outward and do a lot more stuff. If I was doing like a, a giant series all from the same person over and over again, it gets a little more difficult uh, to keep it fresh. And so I like to switch back and forth. I, I find that a lot of fun. But your uh, Saga of the Forgotten Warrior, and I can't remember, I don't think uh, Hard Magic is is first person as well. What are some of the advantages and different uh, disadvantages of those? Oh, man. Okay, yeah. So I actually, I actually do a podcast called Writer Dojo. Uh, me and Steve Diamond, we do a writing advice podcast. We've had like several episodes now about first and third person pros and cons. Um, okay, so first person is is easier to make the story more visceral, and it's easier to get in really into the head of the point of view character and get the reader really, really attached and invested in that point of view character. And it's kind of like taking them on adventure. The downside of it is I can't tell as wide of a story because I'm limited more to one person's perspective. I can't jump around from scene to scene to whoever's got the more interesting perspective. Uh, And it's really hard. It's got like Forrest Gump syndrome. It's really difficult to get one character who's at every important thing of the story, if the story is big enough. So that's the challenge there. Third person, um, it's harder to get as invested in one particular character but it enables me to go wider uh, and I can do scenes from different perspectives. I can say, okay, in this scene, who's got the coolest perspective? I'm going to go with them. Even when I write third person though, I usually limit it to just uh, a couple primary characters and then a handful of like secondary characters and maybe one or two scenes from like a tertiary character who's not as important, but they were just like the weird person that's there. Um, so a different challenge on that. I decide when I start coming up with a new series or a new book, I'll, that's one of the first decisions I make. It's either begging to be a first-person book or it's begging to be a third-person book. And I like them both, and I enjoy writing in both of them. And so I'm not really – I'm kind of, I'm actually – I think I'm probably close to 50-50 on my books. And uh, some weird hybrids. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, the Dead Six Thriller series is uh, is co-authored with Mike Cooper, and we have two different first-person uh, narrators that are competing throughout the series. So I write one guy, Mike writes the other, and then we entwine the two into one book. And so that's a little bit different. Um, actually, there's three of those. That trilogy's done also. So yeah, it just depends. When I start writing the series, or I start writing the book, I was like, is this a first-person book or is this a second or third-person book? Like I just did uh, Servants of War with Steve Diamond. It was very much a third person book. From that one, we knew right out the gate, we're going to have four narrators. We were going to have four point of view characters, one main one and three secondary ones. And uh, so that that was just begging to be a third person book. Yeah, that's just how that shakes out. Well, you mentioned Mike and Steve. Um, You also co-wrote Gunrunner with uh, John Brown. Yeah, John's awesome. and he kind well, of explained, you like, the saw process. us at the book signing when we were both noobs. And it was like brand new, yeah. Yeah. So it's like eight or nine years later that we wound up writing a novel together. Yeah. No, and and then I've talked to both of you multiple times throughout the years and, and been a fan of both of you. Um, but what is some of like the processing when you processes when you're writing with somebody else? And what are the challenges and advantages? Um, what's what's good about it, what's bad? Um, each collaboration is going to depend entirely on the the nature of the of the people involved. So, like John Brown, John is just an awesome guy. John's fun to work with. He's he's humble. He's flexible. 
Like if he's got an idea that I just don't like, then he's not like going to die on that hill. You know what I mean? Uh, so John, John is just a pleasure, to, a pleasure to write with. Um, but each writer is a little bit different. And so what's going to happen is you're going to have the process of how you come up with the story. Um, usually you got to have somebody who's in charge because it, it, sometimes you're going to have where you just disagree. So someone's got to make a call on which direction the story is going to go. Um, I've had different collaborations work different ways. I've had some where the, where I was the senior author and then the younger author or junior author would, we'd get together. I'd give them basically the outline or we plot plot it together. They would do the first pass. So they do the, the rough draft. Then they kick it over to me and I would do like go through the whole thing and then go back and forth, back and forth until we're happy with it. And usually when you do that, by the end, you can't remember who wrote what part, uh, which is pretty good. If you can get, uh, each time you collaborate, you kind of get to know the other guy's voice and you kind of learn to write a little like they do. Um, others, like I said, the one with like me and Mike were two separate novels basically intertwined. And that was just we were editing them together. That was really a different process. Uh, what, what Sarah White wrote in Monster Hunter, that was my universe, my character. So that one was pretty much, I was very much, this is what's going to happen. And then I just like turned her loose, uh, if that makes sense. So then it came back to me to, to tweak it. Uh, is that similar to what happened with John Ringo? John Ringo, that was totally different. So what happened with Ringo was uh, Ringo actually wrote the uh, wrote those without me knowing. He had <laughs> read Monster Hunter and he got supercharged. Because the way Ringo writes is he'll not write at all for months and months and months. He won't write a word. And then he'll get spun up on an idea and then he'll write a hundred thousand words in a couple of weeks, like not even joking. He'll, he'll crank out a novel in a month. Oh, wow. um, <laughs> for real. So he got, he read all the monster hunter. He got really excited. And so I actually asked him for a short story for an anthology and uh, I found out like, no, he had something quite a bit larger to show me. And so what happened was on those, though, because it was my universe, I had to be real careful. This is my baby. I've got some Monster Hunter is how I pay for my house, right? Right. Um, so, I, so basically, I went, I went up taking John's books, and I would I would wind up going through and chopping all the stuff that I couldn't do just because the rules of the universe or other stuff that I had kept up, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, John, John doesn't like the going back and forth. Uh, so there wasn't a lot of going back and forth. It was more like John was like, here's, um, situations are weird. It just depends on who you're writing with. Like when I was writing with Steve Diamond, it was, we brainstormed the whole thing together. So that was like a hundred percent shared, uh, creation. And then, uh, Steve wrote the rough draft mostly because of time. Cause I'm the guy with 50,000 deadlines. Uh, and then wound up kicking it back and forth so many times. And we actually had, we had characters that I wrote and he, we had characters that he wrote. And so anytime his characters would appear in somebody else's bits, he'd edit all that. And anytime the characters I wrote, uh, would appear in his bits, you know, I would edit those. So it was very integrated and that one actually came out really smooth. Uh, so by the, we're, we're working on number two right now. And so we're, we're reading through number one is like, wow, this is a really cool idea. Which one of us came up with this? <laughs> Because by the time you get done with this process, you can't remember because you've both kicked that football back and forth so many times. Right. Um, yeah, so it just depends. And I got more collaborations coming up. I got one with Jason Cordova, uh, is, is writing a Monster Hunter thing, and also uh, Les Johnson is writing a uh, Monster Hunter thing for me. So, yeah, so I, I've got a lot of collabs going on. I, I, I like to collaborate. It's been kind of fun. That's amazing. Um, and and sounds like a lot of fun to be able to do that with other authors and and share your universe with them. Um, that's got to be kind of cool for you know reaching out to, to Johnny Ringo and um, him just basically like saying I've got art of this already that I just love. So like that's that's got to be fun. Yeah, it was nuts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, what I was telling people is like when one of the best selling science fiction authors in the world comes to you and says, "Hey, I wrote some novels in your universe. You want them?" You say <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. No, that's, that's just amazing. That's an amazing story. Um, now you're, you're a fantasy author. Um, you, you write, you know, epic fantasy, large, large books. Um, but you also are pretty prolific at short stories. Um, what, what's kind of different with those compared to, to novels? I know 
like you have to get to the punchline a lot, a lot faster. I struggle with short stories. I can't for the life of me. And and I and maybe I just haven't learned how. What's some like tips or tricks for those people that, that are trying to write short stories and vice versa? What if those people are short stories and they just can't write a novel? Like they just can't do that. Yeah, it's weird because there are different people that are wired different ways. Like some guys really struggle with novels but love short fiction. Other guys struggle with short fiction and really are good at novels. From a business perspective, it's better to be good at novels than short stories because you just can't make a living at short fiction. Uh, I mean, business-wise. That said, I love short writing shorts because it's kind of like a palate cleanser. And it's also a, an opportunity for me to test out new ideas, new worlds, without the time commitment of writing an entire book. Uh, tip, biggest tip I can give you for short fiction. If you're good at writing novels, but struggle with short fiction, think of short fiction as one scene. So it's part of a bigger story. Obviously, these characters, something happened to them before, and something's going to happen to them afterwards. But you don't have to tell that right now. You're just taking, basically, think of it as one chapter. This is a chapter from a book, but it's a contained thing. It's And you just write that. It's 7,000 words, 10,000 words to work with. Uh, you've got to just get in fast, get to the good stuff, get to the point. With short fiction, you don't need to resolve everything. You don't need to answer every single question. You don't need to explain the entire world. You just need to give them enough that this feels like one chapter in these people's lives. Um, and honestly, some people struggle with that. Other people don't. I would say just give it a shot. And just just think of it, think of it, like I said, this is chapter 13 from your novel that doesn't exist. <laughs> you know, just run with it. And uh, I love I love short fiction, but like honestly, though, you can't make a living in short fiction. You can make a little bit of money. The good thing about short fiction, though, is it's actually really good practice. So, so I recommend it for people, especially if you're starting out. Uh, it's easier to uh, start a short story and finish it than it is to finish a novel. And the biggest thing I found with new people who struggle is they don't finish. They'll start a project and they'll work on it and then just they'll, they'll, they'll get stuck, they'll, they'll get busy, they'll walk away and they never finish the project. And you can't really grow as a writer until you finish stuff. So I really recommend people start now, do some shorts. Uh, and then they, that way you'll get that feeling of accomplishment and you'll know how to finish something. So I'm a big fan of them. But I'm also I, I recognize I recognize their limitations. But the good thing is, once you sell enough stories to other people's anthologies, and uh, you've got enough of them, then you can bind them together and sell a collection of your short fiction. I've done that twice so far, and I'm 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 gradually getting to where I have enough to do a third one. Um, I've written sixty, I want to say sixty something short stories now, uh, something like that. So yeah, quite a few. That's amazing. How do you fit all that in with all the other stuff that you already got going on? Well, the, the shorts are short. Okay. So the way I do it is I, when I finish a novel, ideally, depending on time, depending on deadlines, when I finish a novel, I will step away from it for a couple of weeks before I edit it. Because what happens is if I edit while I'm still too close to the book, I'll miss stuff because it's in my head and I'll think that's in the book, but it's actually not in the book or, you know, it's, it's, um, something that I, I didn't take out that I should have, but I, I, you know, subconsciously, I'm not even realizing that. So what I'll do is I will finish the book. I will take a week away from that book for two weeks. I will go, that's when I go write short stories. And I always have people asking me for, for short stories. I always owe somebody a short story for some anthology always. So what I'll do is during those weeks that I'm not writing a novel, I will write a short or two. And then I will go back to the novel and I'll reread it to edit it with fresh eyes. And when I do that, I will pick up all those little things that I would have otherwise missed because now I'm, now I'm clear headed. I'm not too deep in the story, too deep in the weeds to realize where I'm at. I can see the forest through the trees, you know? So I will, uh, that's, that's when I do short stories. So I, I every year do a couple, two or three short stories. Uh, I don't do as many shorts now just because I'm too booked up on novels, but I used to do more. Um, and, Sometimes you just get a wild hair. Like when I did that thing that turned into Son of the Black Sword, I probably would have just published that as a short story uh, if it had just was, but it was too good. And there was too much meat there that needed to be fleshed out. So that turned into a whole novel. 
So and a fantastic series. Yeah. And so you never know. So sometimes what is meant to be a short will turn into something else. And sometimes you just got an idea. You just got to write it. And so shorts don't take very long. You know, if you're, you're looking at 5,000 words, that's a day or two of writing. I always tell people if you're spending more than a week on a short story, you're doing it wrong because that's time you could be spending doing other stuff. Don't because you don't get paid that much for them. So don't invest inordinate amount of time in a short story unless it's something you really want to polish for a particular reason uh like you this is something that you're submitting to like like the bay and fantasy awards contest you know uh something like that then that one yeah you're gonna put more more a little more time into it uh but if it's something that i'm just like writing shorts i just get them done and and go and honestly the difference between a short story that i wrote in one day and a short story that i spent a week on there's usually not that much difference. It's either good or it's not. It's the old, you know, you could polish a turd, but you're just polishing a turd. It's still a turd. Right. It's a shiny turd, but it's a turd. So yeah, that's how, that's how I look at shorts. No. And you said um, in your introduction, when you're, um, you know, introducing yourself that you've edited some, edited some anthologies as well. Um, what, what are you kind of looking for when you're editing anthologies? Um, Cause they're all short stories. Um, and how often do you have to be like, okay, this not quite up to snuff yet. Like, what do you, what do you do with that? Um, so I've been luck. I've been lucky so far. So I've done three, um, but I've never done open. Uh, I've never done an open um, submissions uh, anthology. Every anthology I've ever done has been invite and I filled it up off of that. Well, I'm lucky in that I have a, I'm well known enough that I don't really need to like, you know, go looking to, to just the general populace to send me stuff. Problem with open submissions is that's really hard because you're going to get a deluge of stories. Uh, some will be good. Some will be bad. And it's a lot to, it's a lot to go through. And then you got to reject all the bad ones. And that, that's a lot. I, that's, I don't enjoy that. Um, but what I do now is when I do when I do these is like I will usually have specific authors who I know in mind um, and I invite them because I believe that they will do a good job on that kind of thing. And the anthologies I've done, I always use a co-editor. I'm a busy dude. And so a big part of editing anthologies is the business side of editing. So it's not necessarily like, well, OK, so there's the, the, the time consuming parts are like the copy edit stuff. And then the business stuff, that's the, all the, uh, you know, mailing checks, getting tax information, all that. I hate that. And that sucks. And it takes up time. So I do co-author, I, I, when I co-author with other writers, uh, or I, I, I co-edit, I get another editor with me. I get to do like big, cool idea stuff. So it's fun. So I get these stories and I'm like, hey man, this is cool. But what if you did this and this? And they're like, oh wow, that's a great idea. That's fun editing, right? And I just get to help make, good stories a little better you know that's awesome uh sometimes i don't do anything at all because the story is perfect um but it's the little stuff sucks and so i think (laughs) major major thanks to to it's been uh brian thomas schmidt did monster hunter files with me and casey ezel has done the noir fatale series uh and no game for nights and we're working on down these mean streets is the third one those are noir sci-fi fantasy stories and casey has done that on all those which has been awesome um but I just usually invite people that I have in mind. And I don't really lack for people trying to get in because every anthology that I've done has earned out and actually paid uh, really well. The Monster Hunter Files, actually, every author who has a short story in there has made the equivalent to a pretty good first book advance. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. It's not, I actually looked it up. It's not the best selling, it's not the best paying anthology that I've ever heard of, but we're probably in the top three or five uh, of best paying anthologies. I've been in like 30 something anthologies now and I can count on my fingers uh, like of one hand, I can count on my fingers of one hand of how many of those have paid out uh, royalties beyond what you got paid to begin with. Uh, And monster hunter files has been out for like six years, seven years now, and it's still paying royalties. That one's kind of nuts. That's amazing. That's got to be kind of um, fulfilling that that has happened. I mean, you've created this world, and uh, people are so, um, so, so much rabid fans that they they pretty much just pick up everything that, that comes out. And like, I know, I know that anthologies don't sell as well as what novels do. So even for that to to sell as well and be able to pay 
authors, the the contributors of that. It's got to feel pretty good. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild. Honestly, it's it's really cool. So I don't know. It, it was fun to when you create something that is is the, that many people are having that much fun with it. It's a pretty incredible feeling that, that you've created a world that other really creative authors want to come play in. I, I there's not there's not really a higher compliment you can get as a creator. And so honestly, I really enjoy that. Uh, the downside is I got to turn a lot of people away just because <laughs> logistically it's it's impossible for me to to do all the stuff that people would like to do. I get pitches all the time. So like once I started making it like an expanded universe, like a, like an open, you know, where, where other people could write in it and I, I co-write with them. Um, I got I've gotten dozens and dozens of pitches from good authors and they might be wonderful books. It's just I only have so much time that I can do stuff and I have to like I, I can't just like turn people loose you know what I mean right. so I have to be very methodical uh and I've seen other people have done this with, with shared universes they can they can get a little crazy and so I have to I have to tread carefully there uh it's fun but boy sometimes it is it's a little intimidating <laughs> and if you could see yourself back in 2007 what what would transpire like I bet you'd be amazed oh yeah no I didn't realize I, I mean, I wanted to be a writer for a very long time. Um, and I had a, I had a career and I did all this other stuff, but I always was a storyteller. I never, I never thought that I would be as successful as I am as a writer. Um, it, it's gone really well for me. And I, cause I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I got lucky and I am a blessed guy and I, I was the right place at the right time and made a lot of fans happy. So I got, I, I recognize, I recognize that and I am super thankful for my fans. So I know I never I never thought I'd be doing what I'm doing. <laughs> no, and also in your your intro, um, you talked about you have a game room. You're a big gamer. Uh, oh yeah. You play RPGs. Um, you do do minifigs, uh, painting and stuff. Do you, do you still do that? I don't, I don't see as many updates as I used to. <laughs> <laughs> I actually this year this year I have not painted as much for whatever reason. Uh, I've only painted a handful of minis this year. It's weird because normally I'll well here I'll just I'm going to take this camera to get the, the angle right here. But this is my game room, as you can see. That's all miniatures, more gaming tables. Those are all miniatures over there, and that's my paint station. It's mm -hmm. amazing. <laughs> you know, that's so, so many. Yeah, I, I mean, well, that's 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 like a thousand right there, and there's more shelves over at the front of the room. You can see. So I actually, um, I painted a lot of minis over the years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know I'm a nerd. I, uh, I just have this year, I've actually, I've been shooting a lot. Uh, my two hobbies are shooting and mini painting, basically. And this year I've, I set some goals uh, last year for shooting uh, for some pretty difficult challenges. And I've been working really hard towards those. So I've been doing that instead of mini painting. <laughs> but that said, I still have uh, mini painted this year. But every every mini I painted this year has been to to enter into a contest. So, oh. uh, yeah, so I've not I've not done as much this year. It kind of sucks. It's kind of sad. I'm a kit basher too, so I like to chop minis up and make new ones. And I, I like to sculpt uh, bits out of putty, uh, you know, green stuff, mm -hmm. uh, and create new minis. And um, I've done a lot of that that's not painted yet. I don't usually put pictures of those on the internet because those, that just is me chopping up little metal bits with a diamond saw. And so the pictures look like crap. Like when I put the picture of the undone one, it's like this, this is shiny metal with green bits all over it. It doesn't look like anything until it's painted. And right. uh, so I've, I've kit bashed a lot this year, but I haven't painted as much. <laughs> and uh, I know you've played a variety of uh, role-playing games. Um, oh yeah. Uh, what, do you have like a top three that you you just love? Oh man, that's a hard one. Okay, all time favorite uh, is Legend of the Five Rings. That's the funnest campaigns I've ever played. Followed by uh, Savage Worlds is my favorite all around system, like good to go system. So those two like big campaigns have been has been. Um, has been Legend of the Five Rings. Savage Worlds has been like the go-to for me. Monster Hunters and Savage Worlds. Um, third, I, that's a hard one because I have like a thousand different games I love for some reason or other. Uh, so it's hard for me to pick a third one. 
I mean, classic, you know, I grew up on, I, I started with second edition D&D, old school Thacko, you know. I'm not uh-huh. really a fifth edition guy. It's okay. I mean, I, I enjoy it, but it's all right. Um, I love Action Cthulhu. I love uh, I love Call of Cthulhu. I love Delta Green. Delta Green's really cool. I've been playing the Aliens role-playing game. Uh, actually, this is really fun. It's got a great stress mechanic. I've got a, a game called Greedy Cop Show I run a lot. That's a, a, something I made up. And Everything you need to know about the setting is in the title, Greedy Cop Show. My plan is to kickstart that once the Monster Hunter Miniatures game is fulfilled. Then I'm going to do the Gritty Cop Show game. It's very simple. Uh, rules light. It's very, it's kind of like, it's more, have you ever played Fiasco? I have. Uh, okay, so Fiasco has like no rules. Okay. Okay. Um, this is not that level. There's still rules and resolutions, but it's pretty, it's, it's, very, it's very cinematic. <laughs> so you nice. don't want to do this with a bunch of crunchy role you want to do this with a bunch of crunchy or you don't want to do this with crunchy people you want to do this with role players you know but it's fun it's the one I, I actually run this for charity like when i go as a guest to different conventions uh they'll auction off seats and i'll i'll run a game of gritty cop show uh nice. yeah it's so yeah no I, i'm a i'm a nerd i i've got a ton of different i've got I've got probably a dozen RPGs that I have never had the chance to play. Like I've, I bought all the books and just haven't had the time to play them. So yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm an RPG nerd. <laughs> That's amazing. That's a good problem to have, right? To uh, oh, yeah. be so busy with your, your work um, that you love, you know, um, yeah. it's, you, you're not in a corporate job. You, you're writing in fantasy worlds that you've created that other people want to join in and, just don't have time to play games so i mean that's kind well, of and my writing group is a bunch of you know mostly creative guys they're all professionals too they all got real jobs and so that's there's that old thing about like the uh you know trying to schedule your D game it doesn't get any easier as you get older you know everybody's got kids <laughs> everybody's got jobs vacations you know it's yeah it's a challenge but i i, I love whatever it, Last time I played was uh we did a Halloween game. Uh, we did Aliens for the Halloween game. I ran a one off. It was a hoot. So, yeah, <laughs> I love this stuff. That's fantastic. So you could have written in uh, any sort of universe that you wanted or any type of genre. Uh, why did you choose fantasy and urban fantasy? You know, it's actually interesting because the very first book I ever tried to write was uh, a thriller. Uh, back in college and, and because at the time I was reading a whole bunch of Tom Clancy kind of stuff and it wasn't very good because my first book my, my you know freshman effort my training wheels novel uh, so later on I stole the good bits out of that and put them like dead six the um, I don't know I wound up doing fantasy just because that's what I was inspired to do when I originally did Monster Hunter and I love fantasy I grew up on fantasy I grew up on westerns was the first thing I read I read every Louis L'Amour novel uh but fantasy is kind of like my home base. That's where I'm the most comfortable. And that's where I am allowed to do the wackiest stuff. Uh, and I can really stretch the boundaries. I've done quite a bit of sci-fi too. I've done some horror. Um, but but different fantasy genres are really what I come back to. Urban fantasy, alternate history fantasy, epic fantasy, um, dark fantasy. That's that's kind of like my home base. That's what, that's what I really, I don't know. I just, that's my thing. So I, it's funny, though, because when I'm talking to people who are like normies, they're not readers or like my neighbors, you know, people I see at church and they ask me, what I, I say I'm a science fiction writer because that's true. Uh, but I'm primarily a fantasy writer. But I guess saying science fiction writer sounds a little more smart. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds a little more respectable, you right. know, to people who don't who don't realize. So, yeah, no, I. I Fantasies is my home base, though. So, and that's what I'm attracted to. So, it's what I keep coming back to. That's awesome. Um, do you have any like people that you look up to? Uh, any influences that um, you've kind of not not tried to um, copy, but have, have really influenced your writing? Oh, <clears throat> that's hard. Okay, so influenced my writing. I, I, I mentioned Louis L'Amour. Growing up on Louis L'Amour, I think I've established a lot of stuff about like the concept of uh, heroes. Uh, uh, tough individualists who handle their business, uh, you know, and so I think that influenced me a lot. Uh, I don't really have anybody in particular that I try to emulate per se. I just kind of like tell stories and have fun. So, like my stylistically, I'm kind of I do my own thing. Um, don't really have anybody like that. 
drawing inspiration from man i grew up on uh terry brooks uh raymond feist uh well tolkien obviously you know, all the fantasy stuff loved all that growing up and that influenced me a lot uh sci-fi actually uh david drake uh, i read john ringo starting in college <laughs> oh really you know, it was just funny later on run up writing books with him um yeah. But uh, actually, David Drake was some of the first science fiction uh, novels I ever read. Actually, some of the first science fiction novels I ever read were uh, Bane books. Um, I love, and that's as far as historical stuff. I love Lovecraft, but finding Lovecraft actually led me to Howard, and I'm a bigger Howard fan than I am a Lovecraft fan. And I, so I think I think Robert E. Howard was a big influence. But I do get a lot of Lovecraftian stuff. Winds up in Monster Hunter, just that you know right. kind of thing. Uh, yeah. I love that. There's so much mythos stuff in there. So yeah, that's that's what I would say. And then I've um, got a ton of friends that are writers that have influenced me. A lot of the times, not even necessarily in their work, because you know, just we lack the time. If you when, when everybody you know is a writer, it's really hard to read all their books because there's just too dang many of them. Uh, but <laughs> you know, that's a lot of my friends, I guess, and my peers. So I don't know. There's a lot of influence there, but not necessarily from their work. But yeah, that's that's who I would have to. Those are the ones I would have to name. Perfect, that's awesome, Larry. Thank you so much. Go ahead and tell people how they can get a hold of you, um, find your books, and and whatnot. Yeah, so uh, uh, you can find me on social media under my name is Larry Korea on Facebook or Monster Hunter Forty Five on uh, Twitter. My blog is the Monster Hunter Nation. That's the best place to get hold of me. Um, I warn you, I do get political. Hope you're not easily offended. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and also, I, I do a, a weekly writing podcast with uh, another writer named Steve Diamond, and it's, it comes out every Wednesday, a uh, new episode of Writer Dojo. And so if anybody's out there who's an aspiring author or wants to get into writing, that's, this is aimed at you. It's just nuts and bolts uh, writing business, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. We've been doing it for over a year now, so we've got over a year's worth of weekly episodes. It's been pretty cool. That's awesome. Hey, thank you so much for getting on with me tonight. I appreciate your time. Cool. Thanks, Carson. Thank you for listening to the Troy Podcast. Please subscribe, like, and share with your friends.